All right, welcome to another episode of Catholic Mindset, where we create Catholic content for Catholics. Today, we have Sister Kiara McCloskey from the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. Thank you, Sister, for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you, Alex? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk about, uh, learn more about the Mercedarian Sisters. I, I didn't know about you guys until we met at the, I believe it was a Sikh conference mm-hmm. at the UM, at the University of Miami. Yes. So I was like, oh, we have to... Um, we have to do a show and thank you for, for saying yes and joining us. Of course. Can you start us off with a prayer? Yes, of course. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, fill the places where we're at and be with us in this conversation. Mama Mary, wrap us in your mantle and shield us from all attacks of the evil one as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about the origins of the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament. Sacrament. Yes. Yeah, so the Mercedarian Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament were actually a branch off of a pretty old order called the Order of Mercy, and they were founded by a guy named St. Peter in Alaska. So he was a merchant um, in the early 1200s, and then the story goes, our Blessed Mother appeared to him um, during one of the crusades saying, I need you to form an order to ransom captive Christians because during that time, there was not unlike today, a situation where many of the Christians were being captured and put into situations by the Muslims of like, you know, convert to Islam or die. Mm. And so out of fear, a lot of Christians were losing their faith. And so our blessed mother wanted, like she intervened as she usually does at a very, you know, difficult time in history. So St. Peter in Alaska within like nine days got permission from the King of Spain and whatever higher ups in the church he needed permission for to start this order, which was just, it was like a band of brothers, like, um, you know, merchants, they would raise money, they would buy back the captive Christians. And if there was ever a situation where they didn't raise enough money, kind of like Maximilian Colby style, like they would trade the place of the captive Christian to save their faith. Yeah. And our brothers, they take a fourth vow and they call it the fourth vow. And it's about of like, if there's ever a situation where somebody's at risk of losing their faith, that brother through that vow is called to take the place of the other. So most of our Mercedarian saints are martyrs. For that, <laughs> With <laughs> that, that vow? Is, yes. Uh, but the founder actually was not ma- martyred. Um, so, you know, as the years continued, right, like there were just many situations where there was a lot of captive Christians in different situations. So the spirituality is a very like redemptive spirituality. So Christ the Redeemer is like their image of Christ that they try to emulate. But our brothers say that our blessed mother is their foundress, which is really beautiful. Um, and so they're an international order. And so now f- going forward to the early 1900s in Mexico. So our mother foundress, Maria del Refugio, she was a middle-class Mexican citizen, came from a big family. Um, her dad gambled her. <laughs> and so she was wow. um, in an arranged marriage 
uh, she didn't want to get married, uh, but she loved her family. And so like really through obedience to her family in her early twenties, she married this guy that she ended up falling in love with and loving. And in that sacrament, her husband did convert um, fully to Catholicism. But then there was like a series of tragedies she, she experienced. So um, with her husband, she had two children. So her husband died first, then her son, her only son and her daughter also um, got, she survived. Um, so after her husband died, she moved back with her family. Then her parents died. And then she just like, you, you can imagine like she's in her early twenties. She's a, a, a widow um, with a daughter and like, just people all around her are, are dying. And so mm-hmm. um, she was encouraged to go on a retreat. So she went on an Ignatian retreat led by Franciscans. Yeah. So <laughs> that was interesting. Um, but during that retreat, she had like a very deep, like reversion to the faith, right? Like, you know, just like through all that difficulty, like, you know, I would imagine she was having a difficult time with God. I'm just like, God, what are you doing? Um, but during that retreat, God broke through and really pierced her. And um, that was when the inspiration to start our community happened. And so during that time, there really wasn't a lot of religious communities dedicated to the Blessed Sacrament like there is today. So um, as she started her community, our community, it started with other young widows. And because of the religious persecution persecution going on in Mexico, um, one of the bishops in her area was like, uh, like, we don't have time. Like, like what, what's going on? Why are these widows trying to start a religious community when there's all this turmoil. So the bishop sent a Mercedarian priest to investigate. And um, this priest went to where our mother foundress was starting her community, went to go investigate, like with the intention of like disbanding the, uh-huh. the sisters and came back to the bishop and said, like, there's something different going on here, actually. And the bishop's like, well, okay, fine. Like then you just, you know, be their mentor and you deal with it. And so he did. And so our mother foundress formed this friendship with his name's father, Alberto Scotti, uh, Alfredo Scotti. Yes. Italian who was in Mexico with our mother foundress. And as she learned about the Mercedarian charism and spirituality, she's like, that's what I want to do. That was the inspiration I received, but through the blessed sacrament, I want to ransom captives like through the Eucharist and not just like, you know, like physical captivities, like the brothers were, you know, very directly doing and are are still called to do, but she was starting to see other captivities. Like, for example, like during that time, like women weren't encouraged to have like a good education. She wanted girls to have the same education that the boys were receiving. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she said like, it's going to be through the Eucharist that people's captivities are going to be like addressed and people will be set free. And through education, she was, she saw a way to do that, you know? So our charism is really to become Eucharist, to set other people free through the Eucharist. Um, Yeah, but primarily through education, but that's not like, we're not solely just like in schools because Mm -hmm. unfortunately Catholic education is under attack. And, um, you know, so like, for example, I'm in our Gainesville, Florida community right now. And our sisters are involved with campus ministry. They are, yeah. One of our sisters is the director of liturgy. And and I've been serving as a spiritual director and pastoral counselor. And I'm also on 
our vocations team and helping with that. So like through those things, like there's a lot of education that happens. So like when I talk to a lot of girls, they're like, oh, so like, are you in a school? Like, do you only do teaching? And I'm like, no, we, we actually do a lot of things. Like our main thing is to become Eucharist, to spread the love of the blessed sacrament. Education is a good way to do that, but it, we're not bound to just being in schools. And, and our mother foundress like foresaw that. Like, so I remember she had a daughter that survived like all the deaths in her family. So our, her daughter actually became a sister in our community too. And after our mother foundress died, she became like, you know, the next in command you know, and continued her mother's vision, but also uh-huh. she wanted to have like, she had a missionary spirit. So she wanted, um, missions and like, and those did happen as well. And our community actually became international because of the religious persecution going on in Mexico. So to protect the novices, like when they're like, it was getting really bad, like, you know, mm. priests were getting like arrested and killed and stuff like that. Um, she put the novices at the time on a ship or Mexico. And somehow they ended up in Oklahoma. So I oh. don't really like, like in between, I, I don't know what happened, you know? And so our first house in the United States, wrong yeah. <laughs> our first house in the United States was in Oklahoma. Unfortunately, yeah. that house has since, you know, burnt down and doesn't exist anymore, but okay. like they were still in the United States. And then, you know, other sisters were sent to like, you know, South America. And, and so like, but like, it's just really interesting, like how God can bring a lot of good from a really difficult time. So that's a little bit about our origins and who we are and the kinds of things we're doing now. So you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of things I want to touch on. You mentioned sure. the, the blessed sacrament is key in, in, in your, in the sisters and becoming Eucharists. Can you expand on that? How do we do that? How can we do that? How can we do that? <laughs> we're still learning. So it's <laughs> 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 so like when we have the answer, we'll probably be in the beatific vision, but okay. our, <laughs> fair yes so part of the reason why our habits are like it, it's kind of hard to see the screen but it's actually kind of like an off-white cream kind of color it, yeah, uh, like a, yeah yeah so it's in like so the host like typically used for mass like is like an off-white cream color so it's like you know like this color is for the blessed sacrament um uh, but our lady of mercy like when she appeared to saint peter in alaska was also wearing white. So our brothers were white. So oftentimes we get confused for Dominicans, you know? And so like, ah. but, but we're really wearing this because of um, the blessed sacrament. And just like wearing this is a good reminder of just like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like wherever I go, like I'm representing both our lady and, and the, Jesus in the Eucharist. And, you know, during mass, we have the parts where, you know, the bread is taken, it's blessed, it's broken and given. And so really like, that's like a good flow of just like how, like we become Eucharist too. Like, you know, we are chosen, we are blessed and we are broken and that's hard, but in the, like there's beauty in the breaking and um, you know, in the breaking, then we are able to be given to others. I like that. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought about it that way. <laughs> so as, as you mentioned, and in your name, you, you guys are very Eucharistic centric. So mm-hmm. are there any practices that are that you can share with us that you guys do around the Eucharist on your day-to-day? Sure. Yeah. Something pretty unique to us that our mother founder started was Eucharistic adoration every day. And so in our community, we do that an hour of silent adoration. Um, and that's really important to us because like everything we do really flows from the Eucharist. So both mass and that time in adoration. And yeah, like that's a big reason a lot of us have like, you know, joined with our community, just like, that's just 
such an important part of um, our journeys and, and we really need that. Any prayers that are unique to you guys? Yes, um, we have a special prayer we pray like at the end of the rosary and specifically for the persecuted church. And throughout the year, we also just do different like um, novenas like to the Holy Spirit, um, to Our Lady of Mercy and stuff like that. Okay. So if let's say, let's say I didn't know what the Eucharist was, how would you explain it to me? Yes. So the Eucharist, Jesus in the last supper instituted the Eucharist who is like himself, his body and blood. Mm -hmm. Um, And St. Thomas Aquinas like has a really beautiful um, just like summation of like why Jesus left us the Eucharist um, just to remain with us as one to grow in affection and friendship. That's another one. And that's my favorite one. And he also left us the Eucharist to just continue the graces that, you know, um, from his sacrifice on the cross. So every time we go to mass, right. And the priest consecrates what is like the bread and wine that becomes the body and blood of Jesus. It's not like the priest is, you know, killing Jesus again, like Jesus only died once, but the graces from that moment continue because God is outside of time. And so like those graces from that moment flow into like what we are experiencing time, like here and now. Um, and so it's like in Catholic circles, we say it's the source and summit of our faith. Right. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's like, people are like, what does that mean? But like, you know, that's really the thing that distinguishes like Catholics from any other denomination. Like, you know, we believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, his body, soul, divinity, everything. Like he is there. And so, I mean, I love hearing people's encounters with Eucharistic Jesus, right? Like, you know, going from like, I don't know, like, that's hard to believe to like, you know, like something happens, like, you know, when he breaks through and, you know, it's over, like, you know, like, you know, he draws you in. (laughs) And now a little curveball on the question, how will you explain it to children? Yeah. So children, they're so good. Like it's actually much easier to explain these things to kids than it is right? to adults, you know? So, <laughs> so like with kids, I'm just like, like, especially like when we have like adoration, we'll just like explain it like Jesus is there. Right. And sometimes it helps to, um, you know, read the gospel stories of the last supper and just mm-hmm. like really explain like, you know, during like, that's the moment when Jesus left us his body and blood in the Eucharist because he wants to remain with us. He wants to grow in friendship and affection for us. And he wants to give you, you know, different gifts and graces, but really he just wants to be with us. Um, and the faith of children is just so beautiful because it's like, you know, I can just, this is Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's it. And then like, they have really beautiful, like moments in prayer that, you know, little mystics and, and stuff like that. And so it's just like, I think over time, like just in our culture today, especially we, we lose that, and, but it's not gone. Like it, it can come back, you know? No, hundred percent, hundred percent. So you, you mentioned campus ministry, mm-hmm. which must come with both is challenges, but also a lot of very interesting conversations with students. Can you tell us a little bit about the campus ministry branch of the, wait, 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 wait. I don't want to say mercenarians as I was saying three <laughs> podcasts, <laughs> three podcasts. I would say mercenarians. Mercedarian sisters of the blessed cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So several of our sisters actually came from the university of Florida and 
I am one of them. And during my time at the University of Florida, when I was having like my reversion back to the faith, um, a priest who is still a pastor there right now, he really began like this um, Eucharistic and Marian spirituality in the campus ministry program at the University of Florida. And like, and we just, you know, were drawn into that very deeply. And so, um, yeah, we have adoration, uh, holy hours. We have, you know, uh, Marian consecration groups. There's like Bible studies. There's uh, a Newman group that meets once a week. And then there's another group that meets once a week that has different speakers and stuff like that. And we also have retreats. There's a more of a community centered retreat that's offered nice. once a semester. Yes. And we also have a Eucharistic centered retreat that is offered once a year. And that's actually how I met my sisters. They were invited to be the nuns at this retreat. And um, yeah, so the pastor who met our sisters through this retreat wanted us here. So that's how we ended up eventually coming to be a part of like University of Florida. And the interaction with, with the students at the mm -hmm. school, how is that? How, how are the what is the mindset of the university students nowadays? <laughs> yeah, so back in my day, you know, when I was a student at the University of Florida, there wasn't sisters like us now. So it's really funny to hear our students say, like, I can't imagine, like, the Mercedarian sisters not being here during my time in college. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, that's so different than, like, my experience. But uh, it's amazing how fast technology develops and, like, you know, with when COVID hit, right? Like everything was, you know, put online. And, and so we had a whole class of, right? Like freshmen in the year 2020 who just didn't interact with people in person. And the next time we saw them was uh, when they were sophomores. And so like the mindset right now is just like, you know, it's very technology heavy and, you know, like really, I do a lot of helping them communicate with each other better, you know, in person, because we tend to be pretty dependent on um, the phone or just doing things kind of like, kind of hit, like, it feels like it's being hidden by like making comments online on different so social media platforms. Um, and so we're actually trying to encourage our students to like, to go out back on campus, like with all the great formation that they're receiving through the campus ministry programs, like great, now go on campus, <laughs> a very secular university and evangelize. And so like, that's really like the goal of just like, you know, we try to find our, you know, a lot of fallen away Catholics, mm -hmm. you know, bring them back, reform them. And, but also like our RCIA program is also very successful. Like, you know, every year there's over 10 people and many of them are students who are baptized, for example. And like, and that's really beautiful. Just like, you know, hearing about those stories of like, um, the students somehow finding about the Catholic church, usually they're different denominations of Christians, but again, it's the Eucharist that, that draws them in wanting them to become Catholic. What are some of the most frequently asked questions that you find for, from regular students interested in learning more about the faith? Yeah, well, we're, we all suffer, right? So lately, mm -hmm. something I hear a lot is like, you know, why does God allow blank? You know, if God is good, then, then why all these things? And so, right. Like that can turn into somewhat of an interior captivity of like, God is not good. He's um, can't be trusted. Mm. And so something 
we do a lot of is just like it's like really helping them see who God really is, like that He's still present to them in their difficulties, that He didn't abandon us, that He didn't leave us. And so a lot of times it's just like it's coming from a lot of pain and a lot of wounds. And so, like and again, with our charism of becoming Eucharist, setting captives free through the Eucharist, there's like a lot of like um inner healing that needs to happen especially for college students because like right there we still see them as they're still very young but they've already experienced a lot right so um helping them like in a sense like relearn or maybe learning for the first time who jesus really is that he's for them um and helping them like from there then we can do so much more for the church if you have if you have a student that says for example okay I want more. I, I, I like what I'm listening, what I'm hearing from you. I, I want to, to learn more. What are the next steps I can take? Sure. Yeah. Getting involved with whatever ministry programs that, you know, the campus has. So usually there's a Bible study, like, you know, focus is pretty um, widespread now. Um, so we have a lot of really beautiful focus missionaries here. And so like, and they've done a really good job of just like, right. Like, discipling and spreading out and we have several bible studies so it's like especially like through scripture the sacraments like really learning like why do we have the sacraments that we do like what is god trying to communicate to us through that there's also a lot of really beautiful spiritual reading out there like i love learning about saints like you know Mm -hmm. and just like you know growing in friendship with different saints that like you know really draw me for whatever reason because like these are real people just like us with real problems, real struggles. And, you know, like they allowed God to transform them. And I find that super inspiring. Let's talk a little bit about you now. Let's, let's get to know you a little bit about how did you come to meet the sisters? Sure. So I was born in a small town in Ohio, and then my dad got a job through the athletic department at the university of Florida. And he only meant to stay there for a few years to get experience, but we never moved from Gainesville. So, you know, I grew up in Gainesville, Florida, and there just, there aren't sisters and habits. Like there was, um, unhabited older sisters at the parish I went to growing up and little girl, me saw them and they just, they didn't smile very much. They didn't look very happy. So I was like, oh my gosh, like if I don't get married, that's, what's going to happen to me. That's like plan B, you know, like (laughs) that's why they look so unhappy. They couldn't get married. (laughs) So I did everything in my power to like, make sure that would happen. And so, um, like I, my family's culturally Catholic, uh, Irish Catholic family. So like there just was, I didn't receive a lot of catechism growing up other than like, we prayed before meals, the guardian angel prayer before bed. Um, I went to a Catholic middle school and high school, but for some reason, right. Like just the things I should have learned there didn't happen. And so my parents were like, okay, well, that she's going to learn the things at these Catholic schools. But again, that didn't happen. So now I'm going to college at the University of Florida. And when I was a freshman, the University of Florida was like ranked number two party school in the U.S. or something. And and it was very much that. So UF is a school that's like, you know, like good at academics, good at sports, but also good at like, you know, college things like partying. And it was during college, like in the midst of like this environment that I was like drawn into 
the campus ministry program. And when I was in Catholic high school, I did everything I could to get out of like the retreats I had to go, stuff like that. So it's just so crazy how God works. Like he found me um, in the midst of this. And for the first time in my life, I met people who actually wanted to get to know me for me. And for so long, I was trying to be like perfect in whatever I thought perfect was. And so I kept coming back to the campus ministry program to be with those people. And it was like through those people, like who went to daily mass, who went to confession outside of like the forced times I was forced to go to at the Catholic schools, like they wanted to do and be active in the sacraments that really inspired me. So then I would go on like the retreats and then I would be involved with retreat ministry. And because I was involved with retreat ministry, um, something they would do with that Eucharistic centered retreat, they would invite like different orders of religious, like on that retreat, just to expose the students to different, like, you know, vocational possibilities. So by this time I was still like, okay, well, girls who can't get married, this is what happens to them. But when some of my peers were like intentionally discerning religious life and they explained to me what the vocation really was, then I started to become a little bit more open to the possibility to like, to that for me too, because when, um, for example, one of my roommates, she was an aerospace engineer, smart, beautiful, all the things, right? Then all of a sudden one day she's like, I think I need to start discerning religious life. And I got really scared because I was like, Mary, no, like you can totally get married. Like, and she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, women who can't get married become nuns, right? And she's like, no, like the vocation to religious life is a supernatural relationship with Jesus. You marry Jesus. And I'm like, you can do that. Like, and so like when she was explaining her interior life to me very vulnerably, like a lot of what she said really struck me. And I was like, oh no, that could be me. So when the campus minister, uh, who was, we call it nunting, like, like looking for an order of nuns to invite uh, yeah. on this Eucharistic centered retreat, found the Mercedarian sisters, right? Uh, she was like, oh my gosh, like they're Eucharistic and Marian, just like us at the University of Florida, we must invite them. So I, one of my other roommates was this campus minister and she invited them to attend our fire retreat, Faith in Receiving the Eucharist. And then after the retreat, they stayed at my house. And then, nice. <laughs> yes. So then I was like, oh, like they're normal. And like, and I noticed like, you know, I can be myself around them. And right before we took them back to the airport so that they can fly back to Cleveland, Ohio, which is where our formation house is right now. Um, one of the sisters turned around and looked at me and said, you know, if you ever want to like visit with us, you can. And so that was the opening. That was how I met them. Here we are. <laughs> here we are and you mentioned before we started you mentioned that you were finally professed yes just professed final vows on april 22nd octave of easter but also the solemnity of earth day ah, so that's awesome congratulations so <laughs> thank you for those that don't know what does that mean yes yeah, so it means that over years of discernment so pre-Vatican II like there was only like one profession of vows for sisters so like when they were coming to the point of like professing the vows of poverty chastity obedience like that was it but like because of a lot of the confusion you know post-Vatican II a lot of sisters left like mm. their communities and stuff like that and so it was really a mercy of the church to um, like have religious communities have what's called like temporary profession of vows where like 
um, you profess those same vows, poverty, chastity, obedience, and like you renew that every year. So in that time of like renewing it every year, the community is discerning, like, is this, you know, what you're called to? And you're also discerning, is this what I'm called to? And so final profession, like it's, it's the same vows, but this, this time it's like forever, you know, like, you know, the community yeah. has discerned like, yes, like you are in fact, like called to be part of our religious family. Um, and you know, the woman herself too is saying like, I want this, you know, so to like, to lay my life down, um, to be married to Jesus forever in this community. Wonderful. Again, congratulations. Thank Very you. Exciting. So I, I want to, I want to ask you now that we're running out of time, but I want to ask you more about your relationship with the Eucharist. If you could share a little bit of that with us, it'd be great. Sure. Yeah. So for me, it really started when I began to more intentionally like be open to the possibility that I was being called to religious life. So after my roommate, Mary just, you know, described more accurately what the vocation was, um, I was invited on an all women's silent retreat, um, over Pentecost weekend in 2012. And I really only went on this retreat to get out of my grad school classes. And <laughs> cause I was like, at the time I'm like, okay, like maybe called religious, maybe, but really I still want to get married and have a family. So the idea of going on an all women's silent retreat sounded terrible to me, but then I was also not wanting to go to an eight hour class and I could get out of it for religious reasons. Perfect. So <laughs> I went, it was actually in conjunction with the university of Miami. Um, it was like the, the women's in uh, yeah, the two campus ministries at the university of Florida and the university of Miami. So like, we, I don't remember where we were in the middle of nowhere, South Florida somewhere. And um, it was a very Eucharistic centered retreat. And at this time, like, you know, I was, you know, going to adoration more, going to confession more. It's like, you know, God was drawing my heart. Um, but I still didn't think I was actually called to religious life because like, there's no way. Cause as soon as we got to this retreat, there was all these girls and like chapel veils and like long skirts. And here's me and like, you know, running shorts, UF t-shirt, you know, kind of thing. And I'm just like feeling very out of place. And I'm like, there's like, I, yeah, I'm getting out of class, but like, maybe I made a mistake. Um, and it was over that retreat where on the second night they had a Eucharistic procession and they had an order of sisters there um, and they were in the back. So in order to get very far away from them, I made sure I was in the front. And so the priest was processing with Jesus in a monstrance. And when he got to me, I, I just remember like all like the weird, like angsty kind of feelings I was feeling just kind of like went away. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as the priest continued the procession going to each girl, like I just started like looking at the floor and I was just like, you know, like, what just happened there? And my spiritual director, who's the priest at the university of Florida, you know, he asked me a question in spiritual direction once that I wasn't able to answer and uh, it ended up changing my life. So the question he asked me was, what's the deepest desire of your heart? And um, I was studying to be a counselor at the university of Florida. And I wrote a really long paper really long paper on how authentic love is really the only thing that can heal in a counseling relationship. And I even used uh, Pope Benedict's Deus Caritas Est as like, you know, to explain like what like authentic love is. While I was looking at the ground on that retreat, like that question came back to mind of like, great, what's the deepest desire of your heart? And I was like, well, I guess love is the deepest desire of my heart. Then I started to hear like, like interiorly, there, there was like a very clear voice, like that just, that didn't come from me. And I heard who is love 
and I was like, oh gosh, like, I don't know if I'm like experiencing kind of like mental illness, like hallucination kind of thing right now. And I'm like looking around and looking at all these girls in the chapel, but I'm like, did you hear that? Like, you know, is this just me? And then, but it didn't sound evil. So I was like, well, God is love. And as I'm like dialoguing with this interior voice, like my heart just becomes more and more free. And, um, and I'm still looking at the ground and right. Like my logical brain is like, okay, well, if the deepest desire of my heart is love and God is love, then the deepest desire of my heart must actually be God. And so by this time, the blessed sacrament was placed on like this, uh, what we call like a burning bush, like set up kind of thing right in front of me. Um, I'm still looking at the ground and I'm like, I, I just start shaking. Cause I'm like, so afraid. I'm like the deepest desire of my heart is God. What does that mean? Um, and, and I'm just sh- like, just shaking, looking at the ground. And then I feel somebody put a blanket over my shoulder, like one of those like throw kind of blankets, like you can get mm-hmm. a target or something. And I figured, Oh, one of the retreat directors thought I was cold, but really I'm just shaking out of terror right now. So I went to turn to like, thank whoever. And I look around and like, nobody's out of place and there's actually no blanket on me like, but I like felt like a pressure like you know it was it was very strange and I was like okay that's weird so I went back to looking at the ground but then I hear a woman's voice say look at him and somehow I knew that was Mary like about like a month prior out of good peer pressure um, I did the Marian consecration uh, to Jesus through Mary and something else that was kind of going on around that time just like kind of like out of nowhere on my own I just felt like I needed to start praying the rosary like every day and like, and I was too shy to like have like the full blown like rosary, like, you know, walking around University of Florida with it, like, you know, like the circle ones with like the, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. like I would use that. And, um, and that, you know, what I'm about to say, like, it's just very um, connected to our community. So I hear the woman's voice say, look at him. Somehow I know it's Mary. And like later, you know, my spiritual director affirmed this, like, you know, when I was sharing the story with him later, he's just like crying and just like, and I'm just like, oh no, broke the priest. But I look at Jesus in the blessed sacrament and then i like it's like i have tunnel vision and i hear it's my desire to honor you everything i have within me i give to you and so at that moment like it it was jesus proposing to me and i Mm. go back to that all the time and so like you know to answer your question like i I would hope that's you know the same for my sisters like our relationship with jesus and the eucharist is very spousal right like jesus is our spouse and um yeah. So like, for me, that's really like, where it just like really like solidified and really like since then, like that has deepened and developed, but yeah, I go back to that moment like, pretty often because I need to, and remember God's outside of time. So like the graces from that moment wasn't just like, Oh, it's just like, that's when it happened. Then that was in the past. Like, no, like, like God brings me back to that moment for a reason. It's like, you know, like, when you ask a couple like you know how did you meet you know like how how did he propose like you know like those kinds of things like it's so important to to go back to that because you know when I was recounting like this story first to my friend Ashley who was a campus minister she actually started crying when I was telling especially the part with like like the blanket over me she goes do you know what my prayer for you was at that moment when the like Jesus was brought to you and I'm like no and she goes I asked our lady to wrap you in her mantle and I was like oh my gosh like you know yeah. And I was like, Ashley, like I felt it. And then when I expressed to father David, the priest, like, you know, everything, like I, like, I felt like a crazy person because like the, the lie in my heart was like a girl like me can't be called to religious life. Right. I'm looking around and just like comparing, right. Like they, they're the holy ones. They're the ones wearing chapel veils and long skirts and whatever, like they were probably Catholic their whole life, but here's me like who, you know, 
fairly Catholic most of her life doing normal college things and was just like very slowly like brought into um, this, but the vocation was always there, right? So we say like religious life is really a flowering of our baptismal like adoption. So that's an amazing story. And, and yeah, especially how it connects too, right? Like yes. you you were thinking, experiencing something, and then your 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 fellow sister friend, you know, tells you her prayer for you. And it's like this like connectivity. It's like like just more amazing proof around that. That's amazing. Yes, yes. Thank you. Congrats. Thanks. So I know that we're running out of time. I have one more question for you. What is your favorite experience? I mean, what is your favorite thing right now of of joining the sisters of your faith? Let's see. Well, since I just professed final vows, like, you know, like, like belonging completely to Jesus, like for real, for real, for real. Mm -hmm. And him being like my best friend and my spouse is like, is my favorite thing. And really like everything just really flows from that. Like, yeah. It's just, it's amazing. It's like everywhere I go, there's an adventure and we're doing that like with him. Wonderful. Sister, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing us your story and about the sisters, their origins and, and your experiences with the Eucharist. It's been amazing. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me.